Blog Talk Radio. This is Dr. Ross Green. Welcome to Collaborative Problem Solving at School. I'm delighted that you were able to join in. This program airs each Monday at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time during the school year. We explore a variety of topics aimed at helping you better understand and help challenging students and implement the collaborative problem-solving approach in your classroom and your school. If you have a question or comment, call 646-727-2691. Once again, that's 646-727-2691. If you call in, you'll be muted until I bring you on the air. And now, let's talk about challenging kids and how we can help them. Well, good afternoon, or whenever you're listening to this, good whatever. Thanks for uh, joining in to the program. Um, This, our second-to-last program on collaborative problem-solving at school for this school year. We're going to take the summer off. So next week, May 24th, our last program until the school year begins again, and we probably won't start this program up again until September. We are supposed to have a uh, guest call in today, and um, we'll see if that actually happens. If it doesn't happen, then um, we've got some confusion, and I'm going to put the show on hold, the program on hold, and call the person who's going to be joining us in, uh, joining in with us today, um, because uh, another school system, one in uh, Calgary, uh, in Canada, um, has been getting the ball rolling on collaborative problem solving, and I think that this program is a great way to hear about what other Uh, folks are going through in their efforts to implement uh, the model and uh, the struggles that can go along with it, along with the successes and the reactions and all of that stuff. Um, So we uh, are supposed to have someone calling in today, and uh, I'll give you that person's name and position uh, when it actually happens. But in the meantime, um, these are your 45 minutes, and once again, uh, only the second to last year, 45 minutes for this school year. Um, and boy, you know, there's so many things that can uh, interfere with doing collaborative problem solving at school. Uh, you know, among them, uh, just getting people galvanized and uh, mobilized to recognize that this is something that we really ought to be doing and getting our arms around that. Um, if you're having trouble with that, call in. Uh, you know, I'm not positive how long I'm going to be on the phone with the folks in Calgary, but call in. Uh, let us know what's going on in your building. Maybe maybe I can help out. That's the whole goal of these uh, web-based radio programs, for me to help out and provide some support and see if we can help move things along. Uh, So, you know, there's building-wide issues. There's how do we get everybody galvanized and mobilized. What what is it that gets everybody galvanized and mobilized? I uh, I was at my son's soccer game yesterday. And I was talking to a gentleman, and I'm seeing that we have our Calgary caller with us already, so I'm I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this story. But I was um, talking uh, to a gentleman who is uh, in the uh, investment business, and we were talking about uh, a book that he's reading um, about the financial meltdown that occurred in the United States uh, a few years back with uh, the whole mortgage securities issue being part of it. And we were talking, and I was saying to him that I was, you know, not being in that field, I was having trouble understanding. I promise this is relevant, by the way. I was having trouble understanding um, exactly what 
went wrong and why those mortgage-backed securities were such a problem um, and uh, why in certain realms of the investment business people actually bet on certain investments to fail. Um, and I was saying, you know, it's kind of hard to imagine, you know, the people who were supposed to be watching the financial services industry seemed to have been asleep at the wheel and, quite frankly, didn't even seem to understand, based on what I could hear, what those investments were and why they were so risky. Um, and he said something very interesting. He said, you know, it's it's hard to come up with ways to, and I promise this is the part that's relevant. <laughs> Am I stretching this too far today? Um, I thought not, because as he was about, as he was saying this, I was thinking, this is exactly what goes on when we're trying to get people to get galvanized and um, mobilized to help challenging kids at school. He said, you know, um, the people who are the watchdogs don't make that much money. There's a whole lot more money on the investment end. He said it's hard to find ways to galvanize and mobilize the watchdogs to make sure that they're keeping their eye on the ball. He said that's one of the greatest challenges. How do we galvanize and mobilize those folks who are supposed to be keeping an eye on things so that when the folks who come up with great ideas for how to send the economy into a tailspin, that we can keep that from happening. Well, how do we keep challenging kids from going into a tailspin means we're trying to mobilize and galvanize people in a school building so that, number one, they just plain see that this is something that's worth doing because we continue losing lots of kids because we're not um, galvanized and mobilized and because we're not fully in touch with what a big problem this is and quite frankly how much see I told you this was relevant how much money it costs us down the line when we don't keep an eye on things and when we're not um, keeping bad things from happening and when we do have the expertise to um, keep all that bad stuff from happening in the first place so I thought it was relevant. I was wondering to myself, am I going to be able to make the connection uh, on the web-based radio program? And I'm reasonably satisfied that I was able to. But what I want to do now is bring on um, uh, Lori Pamplin, if this is who I think is calling, and I'm pretty sure it is if I recognize the area code. She is the system principal in uh, Calgary in Canada. And uh, system principal, I've just learned, is not just the principal of a building. It's the principal of principles. Yes, Lori? <laughs> Something like that, yes. I work the, in the area office. You're the principal of all the principals, and um, well, that makes you the big kahuna principal. Yeah, well, there's bigger kahunas than me, but but I work directly with the principals, yes. I, I'm glad you were able to call in today. I know that we were planning on having a number of people from your system join us because you've all been doing this together, but uh, that didn't work out for today. But uh, I was able to persuade you to participate a little bit today anyway, so I'm, I'm glad you were able to do this on short no notice. Worries. No problem. Tell, I'm happy to do it. We, we have people who are listening who are at various phases of trying to implement collaborative problem solving. Uh, some folks, number one, just brand new to the model. Some folks who listen to this program, seasoned veterans just listening in to um, get refreshed and uh, stay in touch. And uh, I would say that, uh, well, let's hear a little bit about what you all have been doing to just get the collaborative problem-solving ball rolling in your school system. 
Okay, well, ours is an interesting story because our entire system is working on personalization of learning. So that's sort of the overriding project for our whole system, which is 100,000 students. So it's a very large system. And within our area, the um, we're in a, a high era, low socioeconomic area of the city and, and lots of uh, diversity, that sort of thing in our area. And, and your book, The Explosive Child, was very popular. So Lost at School then came to us in terms of you know, us looking at it from the perspective of what we're doing in the schools. And it was an interesting story, actually, because it was a parent of children that really struggled in school that donated the books for all the assistant principals. So we decided to do it with our assistant principals. So we have assistant principals that meet every month, and we've just sort of divided the book up into parts, and we've just gone through different aspects of the book each time. So the first time we just, um, you know, we read chapters one and two and talked about the ALSUP. And the following meeting, by then the, the APs had been asked to fill one out on a child, to actually follow a child through and see if they could come up with what the underlying issues were. That was a really interesting process because I don't think there was anyone that didn't kind of go, aha, like there's way more to this than what there appears to be. Um, since then, we've been working more on the plan, and that part's where we've struggled a little bit. Like, I think um, I actually missed the last meeting because I was at Harvard, but the um, the actual modeling piece, the conversation piece, it's very difficult sometimes not to revert back to the behaviors we're used to. So Indeed. I think that's that's where we are right now in terms of we were going to move ahead then into the to the next section of the book, but I think we're going to revisit that piece again just because that's the piece that's so important. Because we chose APs because, for the most part, the assistant principals in schools have a lot to do with the behavioral pieces in a school. So we yes. thought if anyone's going to be able to, you talked about galvanizing it, if they were able to spread it in a school, we thought APs could do that. Got it. Seems like the smart play, since those are your primary disciplinarians in the building. Absolutely, and they'll be the future principals. Got it. Oh, even right. better. Yeah. Even better. So let me ask you a few questions. So um, there was no pushback, no disagreement on challenging kids are lacking crucial cognitive skills and have uh, problems that they're having difficulty solving, and it's those unsolved problems that are reliably and predictably setting in motion they're challenging episodes. People were uniformly on board with that? Well, I mean, the easy answer to that is yes. I think for, I mean, for many educators, when you read it, like I know for me when I read the book, it was like so many pieces fell into place for me. In fact, when I read it, I wanted to go back to a couple kids from my past and kind of do it, do it over. We all do. Um, yeah, I mean, it was interesting because you can see where some of it makes so much sense. Now, Within the book study, one of the challenges we gave at the end of the first book study was, you know, come on, like this isn't going to be useful unless we don't have a really honest conversation. And, of course, everybody was in agreement that this just made perfect sense. And when my, my gut would say that I think there are people out there that still believe kids are choosing to be, behave as they do. Um, in, and, but it's interesting because I think people are challenged sometimes with the fact that, you know, it might appear that kids are just being belligerent because they choose to, 
But it was really hard to argue with it. And then when people went back and did the ALSA, when you actually take some time and dig back a little bit to see what what is in that child's history, mm-hmm. you realize that there really is something. So it became yeah. something that we couldn't really argue. And plus, let's face it, as educators, it's a much more comfortable place for us to be because it is what we believe, right? We do believe that we can impact children's behavior and their learning. Well, and, you know, the interesting tie-in is um, educators work with lagging skills all the time. I find that life becomes a little more interesting when um, we all become much more social work-oriented, and once again, that's not disparaging social workers, not anything even close, but I find that we all are often hanging our hats on what little is known about what's gone wrong in the kid's history. And we're making the correlation equals causation error and saying that what we know about the kid's history, and of course you can find something bad in every kid's history, but Mm -hmm. what we do is we say, well, see, it's because of that thing. you know. And as I always say, everybody has an Uncle Billy in their family. Or everybody has stuff that hasn't gone perfectly in their lives. Parents get divorced, uh, children are adopted. I'd actually call that a good thing. Um, children are born out of wedlock, children have single parents, children come from bad neighborhoods, children immigrate to different countries, all of these not necessarily all bad things, but often things that we point to and say, see, that's why he's challenging. Of course, the downside to doing that is that we are often wrong (laughs) about that that's causal, and that's the correlation equals causation error, but also um, these are all things that we really can't do much about anyways, and I find that lagging skills and unsolved problems are things we can actually do something about. Rather than focus on things we can't do anything about, better to focus on things we can do something about. But I don't want to take up your time here with me talking. Um, well, I so, think what you just said, though, like the galvanization piece, because I was listening at the beginning, um, it's interesting because I think the notion of lagging skills is something – I think – the reason there hasn't been a lot of disagreement around it is it's something that teachers can take up. We know what to do with lagging skills. Yes. So it, it's, it becomes something that we can educate, something we can manage. And in terms of, I mean, our, in our area, our director here, Darlene Selby, is very, very clear about there's no excuses, right? We still have a job to do. So no, it doesn't matter where they came from, children can still learn. So the whole learning piece, if you think of the behavior as a learning challenge, it just it becomes much more, it becomes something you plan for, you're proactive about. The punitive piece kind of goes away. Right. Well, good for you. That's not, that is not such an easy sell. How easy is that sell for the teachers in your system? I know that sometimes leaders say we're not off the hook. Um, we're with these kids five days a week, six hours a day, nine months out of the year, we are very much on the hook, and we especially want to be on the hook for the things about which we can do something, lagging skills and unsolved problems. Um, People buy that? You know what, I I think philosophically everyone buys that. I think, um, I I mean, I can't say everyone, but my, my sense is yes, the majority of people do. I think that where where it's difficult again is within the structures of our schools within the structures of the way we do things in 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 just in the sheer numbers sometimes it's difficult for a principal or an ap or whoever's dealing with the behavior 
to deal with it, right? Sometimes, because this does take some time, right? It takes the time to sit down, peel it back, figure it out, develop a plan, all of those things. I think everyone recognizes in the end that's a good thing. So I think where some pushback, if it's pushback or just some concern, comes in from how we actually learn these skills so that they become part of our natural repertoire. Got it. And what that says is, what that says is that you have largely cleared hurdle number one, which is philosophical buy-in. And I must say, um, that's a stroke of good luck, or not necessarily a stroke of good luck, but perhaps the culture that has been fostered in your school system. And that's great because some school systems, this would be a major hurdle, is philosophical buy-in, um, major but it sounds like your next hurdle is how do we get people who aren't yet fluent in Plan B, fluent in Plan B. That's right. And, and, and it sounds like you've run into that, and that is yeah. that um, you thought you'd move on to the next chapters in Lost at School, but it's not going to pan out that way because people, and by the way, you could be, you, I don't want to call this stuck, but you've, you've now arrived at the hardest part of the model, and that is while there are some school systems that would struggle a bit with philosophical buy-in, that struggle isn't anywhere near to the level of helping people get good at plan B. Right. And it sounds like that's what you're finding. Yeah, and I think, I mean, I do think we have the systemic structure to make it work because with our, our look at personalization, I mean, we are trying to take the best of so many things so that we can ensure success for each kid, not just all kids, but each kid. And and so for, for us, I mean, the language of this book and the process just works for us How in terms that of what happen, it is we're trying I mean, to do. There's so many school systems where it is so hard to maintain that focus on individual students and what the focus instead is on norms and averages and teaching to the mean. And um, what I find when I'm in many school buildings, none that I'm referring to in particular, but, um, you know, as I might have said on the program last week, I can't remember, I've said it somewhere in recent memory, and maybe not on the program. Uh, As I was going through security um, in the airport uh, last week, um, they had one of those new machines. I didn't have the privilege of going through it, but one of those new machines that, you know, basically sees you naked, Mm-hmm. And I was um, sort of dying to go through it because I've wondered what the big deal was for everybody. But um, at the last minute, um, I didn't get to go through. But I was thinking most security only protects us from metal, not from people with powder in their underwear. Um, and um, I was thinking, therefore, our security on airplanes is still largely dependent on people not having powder in their underwear that they want to light and blow us all up, we're basically depending on the fact that most folks don't have powder in their underwear. And I also think that school discipline is set up in a fairly similar way. We aren't very good at keeping track of our individual kids and how they're doing. And we're not very good at um, intervening at an individual level, especially when it comes to discipline. We tend to intervene using algorithms and rubrics that say, if you do this, here's what's going to happen. And if you do that, here's what's going to happen. If it's your second time, here's what's going to happen that's different from the first time. Moving all of that 
number one, depending on the fact that kids are going to behave themselves and not really knowing what to do when they don't. Um, we rely on them behaving themselves. And intervening has to be at a very individual level. How did you guys get to that point? Or is that just part of the culture that's been in place for your school system for a very long time? I think it has been a part of the culture for a while. I don't think... Now, I mean, by no, name, by no means are we at a perfect place. But I do think... I mean, we are governed by provincial achievement tests and all of those things, too. So norms and that whole academic achievement piece is, is obviously really important. But another piece of our Board of Trustees, we have educational ends, and our end statements are what guide us, and citizenship, personal development, those are big parts as well. Mm-hmm. So we try to look at the whole child in terms of success, not just the academic achievement, although obviously we do know that those achievement tests are critical. But So I think we are in a place where for a long time we've recognized that not every, there's no one-size-fits-all approach to anything. Um, so in many ways, this, yeah, now again, I'm not saying it's perfect. We still have children that get suspended. We still have, you know, we have situations that are, are, are beyond us, but we're trying really hard to keep the school focus on ensuring that things are in place so that students can learn and working with partners to deal with some of the other pieces. Parents that, have that, often, that is truly fantastic. Keep going. Sorry. I, I, and parents are hugely involved in our schools too. So, you know, obviously in some areas more so than others, but the parent voice and the parent participation in this is really important as well. Wow. I am, um, boy, I wish I could say that about every school system that I come into contact with, but I can't, and you've given us something to shoot for. Let's talk about that second part, which is the hardest part, which is getting people good at plan B. And it sounds like you all discovered that uh, that's the big slowdown. Um, and quite frankly, it's what I spend most of my time helping folks in schools get good at. It's just getting them good at Plan B. I, I have some exciting news, and that is that while there are currently numerous streaming videos on the Lives in the Balance website in the Plan B in Action section showing people what Plan B is supposed to look like, uh, as soon as I get done editing them, there will be many, many more because I've spent most of this past school year videotaping real teachers doing real Plan B with real kids on real problems, with me coaching from the sidelines. And I think that people are finding these, those that, the few who have seen them so far, they're not posted on the website yet because they need some editing. I think people are finding these to be extraordinarily instructive and I'm hoping, this is always the hope, anything I do, this is the hope that we can make more efficient the process of getting people good at Plan B. And um, that's the goal. So those will be posted on the Lives in the Balance website as soon as I find a few minutes to actually get them edited. And mostly the editing takes place on airplanes. And so um, <laughs> we're getting there, but they're not quite ready to post yet. But that would be something a good resource for you all as well, especially if you are getting the usual slowdown on the getting good at Plan B part. But tell me, what do you all have planned for trying to get people over that hurdle? Well, I think at this point, again, I missed the last session. And um, I know that's where they sort of realized that that's where we needed to take a pause and just have a bit more practice around that. I think part of the problem might be is that, again, the APs might understand the Plan B part and be able to work through it. But a big part of Plan B is getting everybody 
on board with the plan. Yes. So in terms of galvanization, I think I think for us our next step is to work through it as with staffs of people now. Like now we have to we've worked with the APs next year it'll be more about working with it in schools. Got it. So that again the teachers understand. Again, it's a different so far really it's just been sort of a exploratory thing for the principal or for the assistant principals. Yes. Although I, and we've also used our specialists too. So our student services special specialists have also been involved in this. But you know, I do think it does fit very much with the way we've tried to look at children in our system. It certainly sounds like it, and that's, I think, made it, I'm going to choose my words carefully here, easier, not easy, because you still have much hard work ahead um, in terms of creating not just experts within the building, and it sounds like we hope that those will be your assistant principals, but also we don't want this to be um, sort of, one person in each building who's good at this because those one, although let me say, if you're going to have one person in the building who's going to be good at it, I can't think of anybody who'd be better than the assistant principal because that, number one, is the person who kids are getting sent to. And number two, that's a person who is usually well positioned to be the energy behind changing the way schools do their discipline programs. Right. That's a great person. You know, if you had to pick one it would be the assistant principal or the principal in a building because of those positions that they're in. Um, so that's fantastic. You, you told me some funny stories, not necessarily funny, but what, when, when people ran into trouble with Plan B, what 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 they run into trouble doing? Well, again, I wasn't here, so I'm only getting the stories. But I, the, there was a the notion that they sort of just fell back into old behavior, right? So probably the, you know, just telling the child what to do or, to, you know, just, blaming i guess perhaps but because i think a big part of this i know in our last discussion that i was there at certainly at my group a lot of the discussion was around the the whole helping the child understand to their their place in all of this mm-hmm. the, the fact that they're such a big part of the process it's not just adults doing things to children right we have an email from somebody, and this is a uh, this is a good point from one of our emailers. And those of you who um, want to email during the program, I forgot to mention this in the beginning because I was so excited about having Lori on. Uh, if you want to send an email during the program, uh, just go to the Lives in the Balance website, www.livesinthebalance.org. Go to the contact form, and uh, the email will come directly to me. But this emailer is saying, uh, I'm going to paraphrase, um, not every school is ready to hit the ground running like your schools have been. For some schools, a fair amount of time is actually being put into just getting people to look at things differently. Um, you're already at the point of where you're trying to get things to be done differently. But let there be no doubt, there are school systems in which doing things differently is a pipe dream until they start thinking about things differently. Um, your system system, it sounds like, has a culture in place that is already highly individualized, highly whole child oriented, and uh, y'all didn't get there overnight, and there are some school systems and buildings, not just systems, but just individual buildings, that are not even there yet, and um, I usually find that the getting good at plan B part comes after the putting on a new set of lenses, um, just looking at things differently. And then 
they would probably be where you all are at, but some energy has to be put into the looking at things differently part as well. Uh, your thoughts on that? Uh, and thanks to our emailer. Any thoughts on that? Well, I, I think that's very true, and I think, I mean, I, I'm sure even here with there are schools where we're still at that stage where we have to get people ready. And keep in mind, I mean, I'm talking about assistant principals, right? So typically they've they've become um, assistant principals partly because of their their stance and their beliefs and their approach with kids. So, you know, as we roll this out into the buildings, I think there might be a little bit more of a challenge. Um, but it's also, like I say, it does fit with the basic philosophy of our system. I, I guess I think in some ways, like, we all need a plan B. Like, I think in some ways the work that we're doing, it's requiring us as well to sort of look back at why we behave the way we do with kids. And and so for many of us, it's because of the way we did school. Mm-hmm. So, so in some ways, we all could have a plan B, too. Well, I know many adults who um, I'm trying to help do plan B who wish they'd have had some themselves. So your point is uh, spot on. Um, and to tell you the truth, um, uh, it's hard to know how to do plan B unless you've had it in your past. It's certainly easier to move in this direction if you've got some historical reference point helping you along. Uh, The bad news, or sad news, maybe both, is that uh, that's not most adults. And so um, a lot of adults don't have a Plan B reference point helping them do Plan B now. And this is all new learning. And that's why I keep saying to people, and you might want to remind your assistant principals of that, The first 10 to 15 Plan Bs I've been telling people these days are for practice. As eager as we are to get problems solved, especially with the kids in the building who we haven't made a whole lot of headway with the whole school year, we've got to get our practice in. While it would be great for us to get some problems solved along the way to getting our practice in, you've got to get the practice in to get good at this. And, of course, there are some key parts of Plan B that are very hard. Um, The drilling for information part of the empathy step is very hard and has sent many, many an attempted plan B over the fence into plan A just because people just aren't sure what to say to drill for information. And the vast majority of new videos that I'll be posting on the Lives in the Balance website are great examples of drilling for information. Sometimes, although less often, these days adults have trouble knowing exactly what their concern is in the first place. That would be to define the problem step. I think that's easier for folks these days. And sometimes people have trouble letting the process of coming up with solutions unfold in in the invitation. um, It's just a process that sometimes folks aren't all that patient with. And... um, that's a hard part, too. So I guess I'm hoping that these videos will help people through those hard times. But all of those, you know, bottom line is when you run into trouble with Plan B, you, you go where history and your instincts tell you to go, and regrettably, often that's Plan A because they haven't had Plan B in their lives, as you were saying. Right. Well, and I, I do think that, you know, there's that the pressure of time also impacts, I think, because you have to take that proactive time with, with the whole process. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes even as you're having the conversation and working through it, you, you're feeling the pressure of the 10 other things you need to be doing at that moment too. Indeed. 
So it's somehow course, allowing people that time to do that work. And that's, you know, that's a huge hurdle. And I find that it requires kind of restructuring things so that the time is there and so that we are well positioned to have these plan B discussions with kids proactively. Yes. But that does take some restructuring because we are not accustomed to dealing with social, emotional, and behavioral challenges as proactively as we do some of the other challenges that are going on in the building. Right. And boy, I'm glad you've got the assistant principals who are well positioned to start contemplating those structural changes. And I'm, I'm hoping they know they don't have to do this alone just because they're the assistant principal, how they start to galvanize and mobilize and tap into the talents of the other folks in the building. You know, that's up to them. But uh, we certainly don't want them feeling like the Lone Ranger, though we do want them feeling like um, we are depending on them to create the change that we're hoping for. Right. And I, I, I mean, I think a big piece of this, too, is that they um, – just by taking the time to to talk about this has been I know after the first meeting it was it was almost buoyant, like it felt like the end of a party. Yep. People didn't want to leave because it just felt so good to be talking about something in a way that made sense. Great. And it felt very hopeful. And manageable. It actually feels doable. And and here's the part to um I'm delighted that people were buoyant after the first <laughs> meeting. We gotta hang on to that because the hard part is maintaining the buoyancy when we're getting loaded down. I like the metaphor. You've just given me a new metaphor, and I, I've got sort of metaphoromania, so um, I'm always loving new metaphors. But I love this metaphor that, yes, people usually are buoyant after hearing that this is lagging skills and unsolved problems. And then comes the hard part because the boat does get loaded down mm-hmm. through sheer number of Number one, challenging kids of the building. That's that's loading us down. Number two, it taking a while to get good at plan B. That loads us down. And number three, what you've already mentioned, which is all of the other demands that are coming into play in the building, That all, all of that loads the boat down, right. which means it's hard to remember how buoyant we were when we were first talking about this and how excited we were about our new set of lenses and a new way of doing things. The tricky part is maintaining the buoyancy, even though the boat is getting loaded up once we really get the ball rolling. I love the metaphor. <laughs> yeah, and, and again, we'll see, you know, as as we continue this work next year, if we can maintain the buoyancy as it gets harder. And we might have but to I, remind people. Go ahead, sorry. I think we can. I mean, I think we're we're feeling, you know, I, I do think we're in a in a hopeful place, but... Like you say, it gets harder. Well, and um, I'm looking forward to having your whole crew on, um, perhaps at the beginning of next school year, so we can hear from each of them. But um, I I know that uh, we've probably gone past the amount of time that you had intended to spend with us uh, today, so I am very thankful that you were willing to do this today. Oh, no worries. And I actually will pass the invitation on to the APs to call in next week. It's just a statute. It's a... Canadian holiday here next Monday. So, Well, we'd love to hear from them. And, and I always, I don't know if I did it this week, but I usually remember to give the call-in number uh, at the beginning of the program. But it is, I, you know, I can't tell you how exciting it is to have you all taking this on. And I, I just want to make sure people are aware. I'm not working directly with your school system. No one is, no. right? No, this is something right. that yeah. 
you all have taken on and you've used lost at school as your jumping off point. It sounds like people are familiar with the explosive child to begin with, but you all are taking the ball and running with it on the basis of a book, and that is outstanding. Yeah, and it started from a parent that worked through the uh, one of our partnership groups here that donated the books because it made such a difference to them. So they wanted proof, to spread the word. Proof that it's not always just folks within the school system who get the ball rolling. I'm so often being asked by parents, how do I get the ball rolling in my school system? Now, not every parent is of, of means that permits them to buy books for all of the assistant principals in their school system. <laughs> but I, I think it is so cool that you all are doing this. Number one, the person who initiated it was a parent, not a person in your system. Number two, it's just a book, not constant contact with me that permits you to do this. You guys have taken this on. And I, boy, if we could just copy that um, several tens of thousand times over again, um, we'd, we'd have challenging kids doing a lot better, and we'd have their adult caregivers doing a lot better too. That's very true. But I have to say, your website is also a huge, huge help. Good, and uh, believe you me, we're not done yet. That's great, Lori. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you have a pleasant summer. And I hope some of your assistant principals call in next week. And it truly has been a pleasure talking to you and have you on the program. Well, thanks so much. Thanks for calling in. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. So um, Lori Pamplin from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. <sighs> She's great. Um, there's so many great folks out there who are ready to jump on the collaborative problem-solving bandwagon. And, of course, my job is to find ways for them to do it. But this is evidence of the fact that um, here's a group of assistant principals and a principal of principals in in cahoots with a parent who wanted to get the ball rolling who um, are getting the ball rolling without extra coaching, without extra supervision, but just because, just because, just because it's the right thing to do. You know, going back to that conversation that I had with uh, my investment friend, um, I don't know if there's ways to give people the incentive to worry and care more and be more concerned about the kids with social, emotional, and behavioral challenges in our school buildings um, I don't know if there's a way to give people the incentive to do that. Quite frankly, I'm not really about incentives. Um, I'm about doing the right thing for the right reason. And um, the right thing for us to be doing is focusing more. And I know how much pressure folks in schools are under. And yet I also know that it is mm, 15 to 20 kids in each building the frequent flyers in the school discipline program, who we start with first because those are the kids who are at greatest risk for getting lost. And then we expand it out. And we take a step back, each of us in our own systems, and we say to ourselves, um, what's it going to take to get the ball rolling in our buildings and in our system? And we start slow, and we get some key people oriented to the model, and we are ecstatic because there is usually, often, not always, but often, that initial buoyancy 
of finally at long last having a different way of viewing kids with social, emotional, and behavioral challenges, a different set of lenses. Challenging kids are challenging because they're lacking the skills not to be challenging. And then we need to think about, now what are we going to do instead? And, of course, that leads us to Plan B, and, of course, that's where we start to slog through the mud because Plan B doesn't come easily to most folks, and it takes a fair amount of practice. And using the metaphor from today's program, we get bogged down a little bit because we're getting loaded up. The boat is getting loaded. The initial buoyancy, outstanding. How do we maintain the continuity? How do we stay galvanized? How do we stay mobilized throughout our efforts to help these kids and prevent the horrible outcomes that they sometimes have? But it's absolutely the case. If we had more schools doing that, we'd have fewer challenging kids who are getting slipping through the cracks and getting lost. So I want to thank Lori Pamplin for joining us today. Um, I did have an email that I was going to turn to if we had time, but I'm thinking uh, we don't have enough time for that email today, nor do we have any other callers at the moment. So I um, think we're going to call it a day for today's program. We're almost out of time anyways, only three minutes left. So um, I want to thank you for joining in today. Once again, next week, our last program of the school year, but uh, have no fear. We will be back again at the beginning of next school year um, with more collaborative problem solving at school to help you, your building, your system, get galvanized, get mobilized. I should have told you that those were our theme words for the day. Galvanized, mobilized. And you've just heard from somebody in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, telling you that uh, you don't have to be on the phone weekly with Ross Green to get that ball going, ball rolling. You can get that ball rolling just because you care and because it's the right thing to do. Thanks for listening to today's program. I hope you'll join in next week for our last program of the year. Until then, good luck with Plan B.